Welcome to the Technoskeptic Podcast. I'm Art Keller. My guest today is high school teacher Will Roish, who is also trying to revolutionize education with his podcast, Cylinder Radio, which is trying to bring nuance to complex topics. I wanted to talk to Will because I've been talking to him a lot offline about problems in education and other fields. And we had discussed work of people like Catherine Burbal Singh. Will, I know you had her on your podcast. And one of the things I talked to her about was her program to do a digital detox, which is a fancy way of saying, I want to get my students to use uh, smartphones less. But that was not the only thing we talked about. We talked about how, in general, technology is sold as being able to perform miracles for education. And in many cases, it doesn't. It doesn't really add the value it's claimed to add. In a lot of cases, it's money that's wasted and would have been spent on hiring more teachers, better teachers, <laughs> reducing inequalities in other ways. So my question for you, you know, I know you teach at a private school now, but you've taught in inner cities. You've taught mm -hmm. in really a wide variety of environments. How have you seen technology impact education, your students' ability to learn? Uh, where has it gotten in the way? Where if uh, anywhere, have you seen it really be a value added to your students? Yeah, um, it's 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 such a big part of of education now. So I started teaching in 2006. The iPhone came out in 2007. So I've been here. I've been in the classroom the whole time watching this this whole thing develop. One of the schools that I taught at before uh, I was at the place I'm at now was a uh, Bill and Melinda Gates school. And it was funded by them and it was structured by them and everything like that. And it had great tech, as you can imagine. But the the bones of the school, the culture of the school was a real mess. And I pushed for them to change it and they wouldn't. But essentially what it was, was this was in one of the worst areas of, of East LA. Very gang infested, very, very sad situation. But you had 48 students per class. These are kids with ankle bracelets on and pregnant girls and the whole thing. Um, I've got a lot of stories for you, but... They took 48 students and they cut you up into three three groups of 16. One group was direct uh, lecture. So I would lecture them for a half hour in the front of the room. 16 of them were uh, in tables doing independent work. And then 16 of them were, were learning on their own at computer stations. It didn't work because the idea is that, getting to answer your question, is technology is kind of used. It's used by parents this way. It's used by teachers this way as a substitute for like almost like a, like a, like a babysitter. So I don't need a babysitter here. Just take the iPad kid. And that's where it gets into a lot of problems. I think that you can, my kids, I'll put a, an educational program on the iPad and we'll sit down together and we'll solve puzzles and stuff. And it can be great, but it's not a replacement for the teacher, the relationship that the teacher has, and the structure, the guidance, especially these kids who have zero structure in their in their lives. You can't just give them open internet and a laptop. Every kid got their own laptop and everything like that. And it was a real mess. And the school ended up folding. I left after a year, but the whole school folded after about three years. So you probably wouldn't be shocked when I relate the following. One of the people who was on the Technoskeptics advisory board is a guy called Kentaro Toyama. He used to work for Microsoft India, and he was one of the people who was going to go in and technology was going to revolutionize education in India. And he was like, yeah, it didn't work. No. <laughs> it, it did. Um, he said, look, um, if the underlying problem isn't a technical problem, technology isn't going to fix it. And the analogy he uses is like, look, say I've got a company and uh, the CEO is failing, the sales are dropping. 
So, you know, how many people think the right thing would be to do some new sales training? How many people think the right thing to fix this would be a new marketing strategy? How many people think the right thing to do would be just give everyone iPads? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the question is, it's like people think in education, just give them the technology. Mm -hmm. That's going to solve the problem. It's like if you have a systemic problem, not about technology, technology will not fix your problem, but you will waste a lot of money. Yeah. And so that's what that's why he wrote a book called Geek Heresy, because he was calling out all the Silicon Valley people saying it's like this is not a, a miracle. To the problems. What is the policy where you teach now mm -hmm. about do kids get to have uh, smartphones how do they get to use the smartphones what's what's how's that work and how do you see it playing out in the classroom yeah i'm in a very unique um uh educational environment full disclosure i'm, I'm essentially at a modern orthodox jewish private school even though i'm not jewish it, i found my place there because i talk about some controversial topics from time to time and they kind of let me do that so because of that this population does have a level of maturity and and um, family structures and stuff at home that a lot of the kids when I taught in East LA and I taught in in bad worst parts of uh, of the city of, of Los Angeles did not have so they do have structure at home so the school puts it up as a, a an individual policy they don't have a real a real school policy policy they put it up to the teachers so it's like very much like a federalist system in the states rights so each classroom has things some teachers have phone baskets. And you put your phone in and then that's the rule of that classroom. Other teachers don't meet personally. I teach the seniors. And part of what I do is I have a constant look for um, constant looking things up and, and fact checking essentially myself in real time. So I have kids on their phones using it. Sometimes they get distracted. Sometimes they don't. I'm actually going to be changing my policy a little bit more, be a little bit more strict this year. This seems tend to get off the rails. And so I'm constantly adjusting, but it's an end my, the policy at my school is an individual up to the classroom, up to the teacher kind of policy. But that, I don't think that's, that's the norm. Generally, most schools have a school wide policy because what you get yeah. is, well, Mrs. Blah, 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 lets me have it. And you yes. get that kind of back and forth. Yeah. That's yes. the, to avoid that. It's yeah. like children playing parents. Absolutely. 100% that happens. Yeah. It's so funny. One of the things that uh, Burble Singh was saying is, you know, it's a funny thing. It's it's coming to be almost a status thing in that a lot of technical elites or just elites in general want their kids to have less to do with technology mm -hmm. when it comes to education because they understand that it, it interferes with the learning. Yeah. So while middle or lower class parents may be thinking, I'm doing my kids a great favor by getting them this piece of technology, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you're putting a permanent distraction in their pocket. So this is not helpful. And so, you know, we talked offline about what Catherine Burball Singh saw in her school, Michaela, which is kind of a charter school in inner city London. And she was just telling me recently, students without the smartphone, they consistently rise to the top of their class and students with the smartphones, even the smartest students, consistently yeah. start to perform weaker and weaker. Have you seen any version of that? Yeah. I, kids, it's not really aligned with like, who's like smarter kids or really, it's just some kids just have more of a temperament that they just get hooked on screens mm -hmm. more than other kids. So I think I haven't seen it like, like, uh, like exactly like some kids, there are, there are kids that I had who were, who were just on their phones. I knew they were distracted, but they end up getting a plus their brain could just take in material and balance it a lot better than other kids and other kids go off the rails. So I, I haven't seen like a, like a, a very clear cut, like these, you know, you, if kids are on their phones are just going to be worse. 
not necessarily. There are a lot of kids that I have. Some of the kids that sit in the front of my civics class who are just always looking up more information. I'll be talking about something, some sort of history, historical event, and they'll just start looking things up. I mean, the same way that I do. I have my phone out all the time. If if someone says a word I don't understand, I look it up real quick. Someone says something on the Joe, I'm listening to Joe Rogan podcast and he says something. I'm like, that's interesting. And I'll just like Google it real quick while I'm listening. Like we can use it in some kids at my school anyway, do use it that way. But I think uh, a rule of thumb would be in general, it's more of a distraction than a benefit. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems to be what is the case. I know um, someone we both follow uh, Jonathan Haidt. Um, yeah. He's work, very against it. Yeah. His work. And he just put out a post on his Substack about how about phone free classrooms. And he was calling for a teacher's to do this because he wanted data. And I was shocked to hear that he didn't know about Michaela in the UK. So yeah. hopefully he will talk to her because she's been running this experiment for seven years now, you know, with, with great success to the extent that she can talk to parents and she now does it. She she talks to parents twice before the incoming class shows up. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's like, I managed to talk to about 40%. About 40% of the parents will not get their kids smartphones as i've asked but she's like but then you know as the years go on they start falling there's so much pressure Mm -hmm. and then immediately the grades start to go down uh, compared Mm -hmm. to the the previous whatever level they were achieving at before they're achieving at less so you could be super smart and you were an a plus student and now you're an a minus student what it's just and i think that goes back to have you ever heard of cal newport he wrote a book called deep work Mm -mm. So uh-huh. deep work, it's funny, he's a computer scientist, as are so many of the best critics of technology, because um, yeah. they see from the inside what is going wrong. But his point was basically, you know, you're not going to have a job in the future because you can use Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or Twitter or Tumblr or TikTok really well. You're going to have a great future if you can build those things. And the best way to be able to build those things is to not distract yourself. Not distract yeah. yourself with email, not distract yourself with your phone. Zero distractions, because to do anything that's cognitively demanding, you've got to do complete focus. And anything that's constantly distracting you is shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. And I think he quoted something to the effect of, every time you check anything, email, whatever, effectively you've lost 10 IQ points for about 10 minutes <laughs> until you can get back yeah. on that. <laughs> so what does it do to our students if they are just constantly checking things. I mean, some of the people are really, really good. They got a lot of bandwidth. They can get away with it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're still performing less optimally than they Most would likely, have been yeah. otherwise. At least I believe so. So you've had, you said some of your fellow teachers, they have a no phones in class mm-hmm. policy. Yeah. Have you had chats with them about how that's worked out for them? Has there been pushback from students or parents? Probably not much from parents, uh, but but from students for sure, for sure. But that's that's part of the job too. Is like you got to have a backbone mm-hmm. when it comes to teaching. I mean, I teach at the high school level. You just have to have a backbone. It's like integrity of just saying what you mean and mean what you say. If this is the policy. This is the policy. You can't waver on it or anything like that. Yeah, they they tend to like it. Uh, I abandoned for my underclassmen who I stopped teaching this year, but I used to teach tenth grade U.S. history, and I had no computers. So no computers, no phones, no computers. I, in general, I still don't like um, phones because I just I think the optics are bad. So, but I'll, I'll have them Google stuff on their computers. 
I had no computers and it was better. Mm -hmm. It was better. Cause again, as interesting as I can be as a history teacher, I'm not more interesting than epic fails on YouTube. Like it's just, it's just going to be better. And and if it gets even a little boring, you go off because I do that at faculty meetings. I know because I'll start looking up stuff on faculty meetings because it's boring. So I get it. But yeah, I think in general, it's it's pretty good. But I, sh- I should have clarified, like, I don't, like, phones, typically, I don't have kids on their phone. If their phones are coming out, I'm like, look, that just looks, that's rude to me. Yeah. But some, I do, I did allow them this year, the seniors, to have their computers open. And I know that some kids are distracted, some aren't. So that's why I'm revisiting that. But I'm talking about specifically with computers, but it's still tech. Well, it is still tech. Been- I would say that, I'm assuming, are they class class laptops or class computers or? They're, they're personal they're laptops. Personal. Yeah. Okay. So they still might have access to social media on them. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, they definitely do. Yep. Okay, so yep. then yeah, all right, I'll I'll give you that. That is yep. a, a distraction. One hundred percent. Like I'm not against tech, and I don't think magazine is. I think the larger thing is is like if you're going to use it, use it in a way that limits it so that people can stay on task. Yeah. Because it's not like we don't all have the same impulses to get distracted. It's like, mm-hmm. I remember when I was in college. This is when I stopped playing video games back when first versions of doom is like one of oh, the yeah. first, first really person shooters good, yeah first person shooters a friend of mine she gave me the keys to her room and she had doom on her computer and then it's like oh i look up it's sunday night i've spent the whole weekend playing video games mm-hmm. i didn't get anything done mm-hmm. i was like oh boy this is gonna be a problem you should probably not do this anymore oh yeah so it's not like it's like it's too distracting it's too good but it's like drinking coke it's empty calories it's not yeah. good for you no, it gets in the way of like the real nutrition you need in this yeah. case the brain nutrition so here's something that i'd be interested for you to throw this out in your classroom and see how people react and you'll just have okay. to report this to me online yeah. but see if they want to do this the new york times podcast just interviewed some college professors and they're saying look more and more people are turning in papers written by chat gpt okay yeah so at the beginning, they're like, uh, the students are like, oh, it's just to help. And then, you know, the report is walking them through it. And it's just like, yeah, I guess this is just kind of doing all the work for them. It's not just helping. Mm-hmm. It's doing the thinking. So the question becomes, well, if it's doing the thinking, what value are you getting in this education other than a piece of paper? Have you yeah. had a chance to raise any questions like that for yeah. your students? So it's new. So ChatGPT is new. So uh, I talked to my students really openly about it. It's great that I have a good relationship with them because they can be honest about the way they cheat and stuff like that. <laughs> so they they tell me that, yeah, like it writes like their whole their whole papers. Now, what it can do, you can write a paper as like a rough draft and then say, ChatGPT, clean this up. Yeah. And that that gets used that way. And I honestly, it's not ideal, but if you've done the bulk of the work, if your ideas are the yeah. learning, yeah, then you're doing the learning. Yeah. So that gets used that way. And I've used it that way. Um, but then there's also just like write an essay about great Gatsby and symbolism. Yeah. And it's just, it's just all there. So the way around that, I, but yes, I've seen that to answer your question. Yeah. Yes. And it's becoming more and more ubiquitous. It's just the way that it works. And it's just so, especially with like multiple choice questions and stuff like that. There's a lot of online classes that they take you're supposed to watch a video and then you answer questions and they'll just say like, you know, I'll just mute the video, do my own thing. And then when it's time to write the questions, I'll just chat GPT it and just give me the answers. So they're just, they're just cranking this out because they see education as this exchange. I do this and I get this. Right. It's not about the, the process, the right. learning process. So that's a real problem. It's very transactional. Yeah. It's like, yes. And when you're a kid and God knows I wouldn't have got this at, at that age, 
you realize if all you know how to do is ask chat GPT questions, you're replaceable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you got to know at least if you're going to ask the better questions in this dystopia where the only job that exists anymore is asking chat GPT questions. You better be the one who knows enough to ask the good questions. Yeah. Because... You can ask the good questions. <laughs> but really, it's like whatever field that you're in, the more you know, the more capabilities you bring to it, even if it's interacting with a new technology, the better off you are. Well, then, like, yeah. And you're absolutely reliant on it then too. I mean, I used to be really good like navigationally, but I'm terrible now. Yeah. Cause I just rely on my maps all the time. And again, my, I have a, I have a Tesla and it just gets it. It knows exactly where to go. And I'm so dependent on it now. And it worries me like, Oh, what happens if this goes away? Like as this technology becomes so such a, we're an integrated part of our, of our lives. We're almost like a, a symbiotic relationship now where it just goes from our from our phone in our hand to our brain and back and forth and we're relying on it. But if that goes away, then we're really yes. in trouble. Yes. And that could go away. I mean, a massive, we're in California, a massive earthquake could hit and all of a sudden the power grid goes down and the water lines go down and like people really be lost because they're so dependent on this tech. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to interview a brilliant guy, David Krakauer. He's the head of the Santa Fe Institute. They do a bunch of uh, interdisciplinary stuff. They're trying to break down silos within fields of the education because mm -hmm. you can do better work if you talk to people on a bunch of different fields yeah. it makes perfect sense but okay. one of the things he studies is technology and human stupidity and that is not a joke although everyone laughs when you mention it he's like Funny, yes, everyone laughs his concern he's created the concept of a competitive and complementary cognitive artifact which is very fancy but what he means is you're a navigational genius when you have Google Maps open and you're yeah. a moron if you've yeah. come to be tended. So it's competitive because it is replacing your ability to do it. It's complementary. You know, it's a complementary artifact is a map. Because if you start using maps over time, you transfer that map in your mind. Suddenly, you don't need your phone because you've got the map in your head. Yeah. So that was his worry about technology. He's like, look, there's no way to stop it. It's like... People are going to keep on using it because it's smarter and faster than us. And even though this was five years ago, we were already talking about artificial intelligence and how it's going to replace a lot of things. And we're going to outsource really important decisions, which is terrifying in and of itself. His big concern was, and this goes back to learning, I think he's like, my concern is when people come dependent on this stuff, it's going to kill human creativity. You're not going to know enough. You're going to be dependent on these things and you're not going to be in the habit of generating new and interesting ideas, you're going to be relying on the technology and it's just not going to be creative in the way humans are creative. And so that's a, one of those abstract threats. It's like, who's can spend time worrying about human creativity goes down 10% and who cares if it's replaced by AI creativity? It's like, well, yeah. I don't know. It seems to be removing some of the most important part of our humanity to me. Yeah. No, I think there's a great book uh, called Excellent Sheep by uh, William Dereshowitz. Yes, yes. And I had him on the podcast and I was talking to him about this because I watched that at the elite private school that I'm at now. It's very much the case that if you ask kids who jump through a metaphorical um, obstacle course, you give them tasks, write this essay, do this, do this. They can do it, do it, do it, do it. But if you tell them to design an obstacle course metaphorically, you know, come up with something new, they get lost and they get frustrated. So it makes sense because your phone, your, your Google does have your Google machine yeah. <laughs> does have access to all these things. So you can just get in get answered, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes time to, to, to create, like you said, creativity, you know, imagination, that stuff gets crushed a lot. And I, I yeah, I have a, I have a concern about that as well. And I've watched that part 
firsthand is the the lack of of kids coming up with new ideas yeah it's like i don't really have a beef with a search engine where it's like you ask it google tell me about the renaissance and it comes mm -hmm. up with 10 mm -hmm. links to the renaissance you then have to read the articles about the renaissance you're going to inject the information right. you're going to mix it up you're going to synthesize something new and that's the paper you're going to write There's no problem with that it's just a better card catalog as far as i'm concerned yeah. you know we shouldn't be luddites against the march of progress the march of technology it's genuinely useful and if it saves time there's no active learning happening if you have to look through 15 books right. you could have looked at a web page and got the same information as long as you have to read through the information and understand it but if it takes the content from the 15 books it scrambles it up digests it and kicks out your paper then we got a problem yeah and that's what they're using for it i don't think a lot of kids are doing it to to find articles and then reading the article yeah. they're just not they're looking for the short the, part of what came with this technological these technological advancements of this generation gen z or whatever it is is everything's so quick if you wanted to listen to a song i want to listen to you know whatever aerosmith sweet emotion i gotta find where is it i don't know i gotta get in my car i gotta drive to the cd store i gotta buy the cd i gotta you know find it buy it bring it you know get it out to unwrap it put it in my car find the track hit you can get everything you want right now. And kids are used to this world where everything you want is right there, right now at your fingertips. And it's that instant gratification stuff. So if you want to find out about the Renaissance, you're looking for the instant gratification. Give it to me. Uh, you want to learn about nuclear fusion. And it's like, you go to YouTube, it's like 11 minutes to learn about nuclear food. Give me, give me the two minute video. So what do you, <laughs> yeah. what do you lose in those nine minutes? You know what I mean? Like, so what, what's, what you're getting is a very specific catered thing. Certain things are going to be omitted. Certain things are going to be highlighted. The more condensed down you get to get to the quick, easy answer. And so they're going to get a very polarized, a very you know specific kind of explanation of what the Renaissance is. And they're not going to get the nuance of all of the the, the ingredients of the Medici family and how they, they started and what were the problems and blah, 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 blah. And I think that's a bigger problem is they'll get the very basics. And even that is kind of catered from a specific of who who put that together. Why did they leave out that and include that? You know, that's the stuff that's a critical thinking part that I think they're missing. Yeah. Yeah. They're not developing the critical thinking skills. And the other thing is, again, like I said, it's fine if you get a list of links and you read through the links. You read through that content. You ingest the content. Mm -hmm. You understand. You think it over. But if you come to believe that anything that isn't served up instantly there's something wrong with that if you don't get that there's struggle and effort to master a topic you're going to have a lot of problems in life because life is not served up on a silver platter and so to the extent that we're making things too easy and just taking the cognitive burden entirely off people i mean i i have a joke that i wish that we could take and really kind of the wokest among us but take everyone all kids and be like okay you're gonna go work on a guatemalan farm for the next three weeks no technology one you will come to really appreciate what you have America. in the u.s <laughs> yeah. and you're going to stop worrying about who's oppressing whom all those kinds of things because you'll be like oh my god i never want to leave the united states again yeah 100 thanks for listening to the techno skeptic podcast if you like what you hear please share or subscribe at technoskeptic.substack.com We've got a lot of great content looking at the impact of technology on society. We cover a wide range of issues like privacy, economics, cognition, synthetic biology, artificial intelligence, and a whole lot more. If you have comments or want to contribute an article to the Technoskeptic, 
email us at technoskeptic at substack.com. And now back to the show. Other than that, and it's also in the absence of technology, you your brain resets to a more human pace. Um, but you also get it's like everything worth doing takes effort. We're not doing people any favors by removing effort, removing a relationship to nature. It's just, I, I kind of got to worry about that because again, yeah, in, in the face of just, you know, temporary disruptions, knock on wood, hopefully only temporary disruptions of technologically marvelous society we live in, people are going to lose their shit if they don't know yeah. what to do when all the tech goes down because they've never read a book and it's like, ChatGPT. T, what do I do? Yeah. Whoa. Supermarkets closed. What do I do now? And it's just so a I, paperweight. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it feels like we're, and I, I don't think this is like a big conspiracy theory or anything like that, but I think it's a, the idea of we're getting kind of domesticated. Yeah. And, and, and a domesticated dog is no longer a wolf. You take your poodle and you put it out in the woods. It's going to die in a day or two. It's, it's It just can't hang anymore. And there's elements of that that I feel like, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's by design. I think it's just the natural inclination of a, of a corporation to be like, all right, well, let's, how do we make people more dependent on our stuff? Yeah. It could be pharmaceuticals. It could be tech or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to sell my product. That's my job. That's the job of a corporation is to try and raise shareholder value. So how do we do that? We're going to do it every way we can. And in that people are just to become more and more reliant. Look, I get it. It's very convenient to have the technology that we have. I love it. And when you're giving up, you're absolving that, that kind of responsibility for going to the store and you have it delivered to you, you're paying the price somewhere down the line. And it's in, in your own abilities and your own kind of um, ability to be uh, to be independent and, and stand on your own two feet. If it's it's just so convenient, it's so easy. And we think that there's no cost to that, but there absolutely is. It seems we weirdly we've made a life of such leisure. Mm. Uh, our big struggles, we, we've weirdly got to re-inject hardship to have a successful life. You force yourself. You, know, you used to work from dawn to dusk and all those hard things. And it's like, well, you're not doing that. Anymore. All right, well, now you're going to have to go to the gym because otherwise <laughs> you're going to be miserable. You're yeah. going to be fat. Yep. You're going to be out of shape. And now it's like you can eat all the calories in the world and you're not going to have to chase them down. It's like, well, now you got to deny yourself all yeah. these things that are just easy to do. So it's like, no matter what, you can't get away from the requirement to get around the way technology has made things so easy, it's like, it's too easy. You're yeah. not happy. You're not yeah. happy without struggle. You're not happy without achievement. 100%. And so it's like, yeah, you have to go to the gym. You have to do all these other things. You have to not be a, a bloated whale carcass because it's bad for you. And by the way, you're not going to get a date. And by the way, you're not going to feel good about yourself either. Yeah. If you go through life that whatever the fat acceptance movement might say is, no one admires someone who's huge. And it's like, it's not okay. I don't care what you say. Uh, you're vulnerable to 13 more times of cancer plus diabetes plus heart disease. It's not good for you. Yeah, I mean, pick your heart. You know, if it's hard to walk up a flight of stairs, that's hard. But if it's hard to go to the gym every day, that's hard. So pick your heart. One of them, you know, is gonna, you can, it's like delaying the, I'm not going to go to the gym today or tomorrow or the next day. And then one day you're like, oh, wow, it really hurts to walk up the stairs. It's like, then you got to figure this out because pick, pick, pick your heart. Yeah. But that's, that's an absolute, absolute issue is we kind of force ourselves into doing these, these challenging things now. And if you don't, then you will feel miserable. But then again, what do you want to do once you feel miserable is again, there is an opportunity here from a corporation that says, here, take these pills and it will make you better. And it's a lot easier to take a pill than it is to limit your calories and eat, you know, 
like, uh, you know, seafood and, and salads and, and go to the gym and walk, you know, for two hours a day around, you know, uphills and stuff like that. It's a lot easier to take a pill, but we know now that the pills just aren't as effective as doing the things that our bodies were designed to do. So again, to fix it, you can use the technology. Technology would be in like pharmaceuticals and stuff like that. And some people really need those, but there is also the old school way of just doing the things that your body was designed to do. So has it come up in your classroom? Cause you know, there's that new class of drugs. Uh, they're all over the place. They were originally developed for diabetes, but turns out they're great weight loss drugs. Ozempic, are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Ozempic's one yeah. of them. Uh, well, Govi is another. There's mm -hmm. a third one. I don't remember. Yeah. But four months ago, and this was really shocking, the New York Times did something that said the American Academy of Pediatricians basically said, we got to put a third of our kids on these immediately for the rest yeah. of their life. Yeah. And like, really? That's your solution? Because we know diet and exercise doesn't work. It's like, no. Incorrect. Diet and exercise is hard. That's not the same thing. It doesn't work. <laughs> Look at pictures from 50 years ago. There weren't a lot of fat people. <laughs> and it's because, uh, one, they didn't have this food that has been hacked yeah. to get us to ingest as much of it the same way that social media has been hacked to get us to spend mm -hmm. time on our food. That mm -hmm. Our food has been hacked as well. But has uh, any of these weight loss drugs, has that come up? In classroom, has that been a topic of conversation? I've talked about it a lot. As far as kids going on it, I don't know. They'd probably keep that one pretty close to the chest. I could ask, yeah. but like I don't know. More often, it's it's like the ADHD medication mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's that's a big one. I mean, I'm probably close to half my students are on some sort of. I had wow. I had a 17 year old girl who um was uh in a, in a conversation. She was a senior, and I, it came out that since she was 12, she has been on an anti anxiety antidepressant and anti-ADHD, you know, stimulant. She's been in all three since she was 12. So her whole brain has developed with these chemicals in it. Oh yeah. Her whole life. So she has no idea what her brain actually is like. And so that is a very common thing. But again, it's, it's people just deferring to authority. You know, the doctors said that I should yeah. do this, you know, and I think there is something easier. Look, my eight-year-old has trouble focusing and I have a, a nephew who's very, you know, ADHD and stuff like that. They're paying the butt. Like they really are. Yeah. So you go, well, it's really hard to deal with this kid. It's easier to give him a pill. It's like, it's really hard to go out and meet a girl and yeah. risk getting shot down. It's easier just to, just to look at pornography. So we look at, we just take the easy route as much as we can. doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's easier. And then we do that over and over and over again. And there's a, a consequence to taking that route that we're just, we're going to start to feel. And we see it with like a lot of the crises that are going on in our, in our society right now. Well, with the classroom and, and see what you think about this. But yeah. um, I mentioned this to you a while ago. There is a book by a guy called Dr. John Rady. It's called Spark. It's about all the exercise. Yeah. Benefit, Talk about that. I love it. One of which is if love you exercise before you sit down in the classroom, one, you can sit still. Two, your brain pumps out a bunch of brain-derived mm -hmm. neurotrophic factor, mm -hmm. which is he calls miracle growth for the brain. It makes it easier to make brain connections. It makes it easier to learn. Yeah. But, you know, the problem is it's like recess time has been cut and cut in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and physical activities. And to me, that's probably part of what's making boys struggle yeah. in the classroom is it's like it's optimized for people who sit there and pay attention and are well behaved. And that is, in other words, girls, yeah. not not like people who are naturally disruptive, which are boys and need to burn off energy and yeah. create some of that good brain juice to do the learning. 
Yeah, Christina Hoffsommers wrote a great book on that. Forget exactly what it's called, but it's like attacking the boys and stuff like that. The books that that are read in school are typically more like women centered stories and stuff. My kids go to a private school now, a private Christian school that we took them out of LAUSD last year, this past year. And when people say, "Do you, how do you like the school?" What I over say over and over and over again is, "I love it. They have four recesses." Oh, nice. I have three boys. Two of them are at this school. There are four recesses. So they learn. It's right, right in line with what Rady's saying. It's like they, they learn for like an hour and then they take like a 20, 30 minute recess. Then they learn for an hour and, the, and they're killing it. And my son, who's high energy, to say the least, he is thriving there. Both yeah. of them, both of them actually are. But my, my, especially my high energy one, like he's thriving there because he gets it out. He comes in, he's kind of sweaty, but he's like, yeah. calm down, do his work. And he also has something to look forward to because he loves recess. So uh, I think that's rare, but I, and it definitely doesn't happen at the LAUSD schools because they were taking away recess because of COVID. And then even in May of 2022, May of 2022, they had kids still, they were allowed to do recess, but they had to wear a mask and they had to be social distance recessing in May of 2022. Yeah. And that's when my wife and I were like, no, this is, this is crazy. So we, we took them to a school that has a lot of recesses, but even at the school I'm at now, this private school that I teach at in high school. They have pulled back the gym classes. They didn't bring back gym class after COVID. And I think that that's, that's something that's happening. Is It's a lot about test scores and stuff like that and not gym class. The way to boost your <laughs> test scores is to right. get your, I mean, the brain is very 100%. cognitively demanding. You need to be in good shape to get your brain optimized. But teachers, look at teachers. I mean, I, I get things because I'm like, you know, I like keep keeping good good health and stuff like that. So people are like, Oh, are you like the cool teacher? Like the good looking teacher or whatever. And I'm like, probably, but that's because the bar is so freaking low. Yeah. I wouldn't be the cool or good looking club promoter, but high school teacher, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, probably. There's not yeah. a lot of Brad Pitts in the high school because a lot of them are unhealthy. Teachers are unhealthy. Just like a lot of doctors are, but a lot of teachers are unhealthy. The idea of like, let's push, you know, physical health and stuff like that. It's like so far out of their realm, they go, Oh no, I don't do that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to push that. It brings up a whole bunch of issues for them. I think that's a problem too. Is like, we need it from a leadership position as well. Well, and that goes back to again, what the Santa Fe Institute is doing where they're trying to get people to talk across disciplines where it'd be like, you know, if you get an exercise physiologist talking to someone trying to teach math, it'd be like, you know, your boys would learn math like 20% easier if you had a long recess before yeah. that. Have yeah. you considered that? Because people who are obsessed with math scores and STEM things, it's like, I got a magic thing and it's less time in the classroom and yeah. more times just running around and punching each other. Right. <laughs> See Isn't that funny? Ironically, it's going to work better. Yeah. And, uh, it doesn't involve technology. It doesn't involve sitting in a desk. It involves letting kids be kids. It's shocking because all the research that proves that this works 100% is out there. And it's like people relentlessly will not adopt yeah. it. <laughs> no, well, it changes the structure too. I mean, you you know, the way we have it now is very much just like kids come in, they sit under these fluorescent lights, they listen to the teacher. Really hasn't changed much. I mean, it hasn't changed much in over a hundred years. And the idea of like, let's get more unsupervised, you know, fairly unsupervised, you know, child interactions so they can be more social, so they can work things out amongst themselves a little bit, not just like run the teacher every time someone like, you know, steps on their foot. This stuff is going to make better citizens. It's going to make more independent citizens and people who are who are able to deal with the hardships in, of life, learn more fortitude and grit. And that's what seems to be missing a lot is kids who fold when things get tough. They'll talk to people who run companies and they talk about hiring. Even at like the, the Ivy Leagues and stuff, they're like, you know, a lot of these kids just don't handle setbacks well because they've had a bulldozer parent and they've just had like just wins, 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 wins. And they don't take yeah. a lot of the challenges. And then you come into a job 
And it's like, this is going to be a hard job. You're going to fail. How do you deal with failure? And they're just like, they don't even know what to do with that question because they just avoid failure so much. Yeah. One of the favorite thing that I ran across recently, it's about psychology. I think we're both some, to some degree, a psychology nerd. Absolutely. And uh, it was a study looking at middle schoolers, little boys and girls on the playground. And, you know, they were studying aggression and they saw, well, yeah, the little boys are definitely punching each other more, 100%. But then they did the reports of the boys and the girls afterwards. And they're like, oh, no, there's as much aggression going on. They were just, the girls were doing emotional aggression, putting each other down. This is exactly why Instagram is so dangerous, Mm -hmm. because you have your enemy, your perceived enemy, and you psychologically destroy them. And it's, it's crazy. That's one of the reasons Instagram is so so dangerous to to young teen girls because you see someone as a threat and they will pile on and destroy that poor girl yeah so i have a lot of like thoughts on this because i watched it so i watched bullying and there's a toxic masculinity right so i was like what's the toxic femininity what what is that idea toxic masculinity is like excessive aggressiveness toxic femininity is almost like excessive passive aggressiveness Mm -hmm. jordan peterson calls it reputation destruction yeah there's a, a line in Seinfeld where they're the Jerry and George are talking about uh, what a wedgie is. And you give a wedgie to a nerd or whatever. And, and Elaine, she goes, oh, my gosh, guys are brutal to each other. And they go, why? What does a girl do? What do girls do? And she just goes, we just tease one of them until she develops an eating disorder. <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's what it's reputation destruction because it's not physical. The toxic masculine that we're talking about is physical. It's like, I will hurt you. I'll intimidate you. I'll beat you up. Women, it's different. It's ruining your perceived idea, uh, you know, people's idea of who you are and showing that you're a bad person. And that works just like you're saying. It works very well with social media and Instagram because you can't actually physically hurt them. So what you can do is disparage them and say, like, look how bad this person is. Look how terrible they are. Cancel them, cancel them, cancel them. It's a very like toxic feminine way of doing society. And that's that's something that I that I see firsthand. I see the way that girls are horrible to each other, mean girls style, like the, the movie Mean Girls. It's actually pretty good. The way that girls are to each other is really terribly brutal. And it's it is different, but it does align with our technologically integrated society very, very well. And we're seeing, I think, what like people say, like, if world leaders were all women, then we'd all have peace. Uh, no, but it would look different. Yeah. It would look different. I think it would look a little bit more like what we're seeing online. I think that's even the men who engage in it. I think it's a very feminized way of of being toxic. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a fundamental mistake to think of men is all bad or women is angels. Cause that's just not the way it works. It's like, everyone's got their objectives, things that they want, and they will do things to get them. Uh, they will have different strategies. Yeah. That's the difference. Male strategy is more direct female strategy is more indirect. Other than that, people are people. But if you create a technology that favors a certain kind of strategy, then you're going to get more of that strategy. Yeah. And that's what we get with Instagram, it seems like. Right. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're physically, like I was a very physically weak kid growing up. So I developed a sharp tongue. So I couldn't, I couldn't beat these kids up who were making fun of me, but I could ridicule them. Mm-hmm. You know, I could use my brain, you know, so they, when they, I, I had a kid who, uh, he became my friend, but he would bully me into doing his homework. I was like, well, I can't, beat him up so what i'll do is i'll just like i researched on what um dyslexia looks like and i, I would do like certain letters backwards and stuff and he had to go get testing <laughs> and uh, yeah and then he was like oh okay i like it all right well done then we became friends but it's like i couldn't i couldn't fight him that way so i had to do it in more surreptitious kind of backhanded ways yeah yeah <laughs>
<laughs> pretended to be dyslexic. Yeah, like he's why would you spell your last name wrong? He just got pulled out for testing. He's like, did you do this? The kid was like, Chris. He was like, um, he's like, man. He's like, you know, forced me to do his homework. All right, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> I know what I'll do. Yeah. I know. And he couldn't say like, I'm, I no, I didn't do my homework. He did it. He couldn't say that. Yeah, so he's kind of stuck. Yeah. That is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> if you were gonna set up a classroom, have the optimal use of technology, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get rid of it where it's a drag, and like, where does it add value? Man. Or does it add value? You said in unbalance, it seems to be a net negative. I think it is a, a net negative. I think where it works is in getting them to do research. I think as a research tool, it is great. I think it's it's fast. You get right to the gist of it. You know, if I'm trying to get, you know, in high school, I'm trying to get them to like the big picture stuff more than the little nuanced details. You can get the big picture of this kind of stuff. So using it as a place to find answers quickly mm-hmm. to kind of start down your road. I think it can be used in really good ways for that, for research. I think we just have access to the brightest minds and the, and every library. And we, we really can use it. Well, you know, I I'm releasing these like free guide cause I, I'm looking for problems and then I trying to solve them. One of them is like the social dilemma that that documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Just on Harris is I, I made one. It's short, but it's like a free download on my website. It's called The Social Solution. And it's essentially the ways you can use social media to benefit you rather than hurt you. And I, so I lay out a couple of ways that you can do this. I got connected with you through internet channels, through, yes. through tech channels. You know, I got connected to a lot of people, podcast guests and, yeah. and other teachers and stuff like that. I've learned a lot from challenges. So I think it's 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 really like any powerful tool. It's like firearms or wealth. I think it's it's how it gets used. So I would say that one of the important things is to just like firearms, just like wealth, just like cars is you have to learn financial literacy, firearm safety, you know, like really learn how to use it, how to use it well and and how you you can be susceptible to have being manipulated by it, by, by these great psychologists who, yeah. who are designing slot machines and now they're designing your, your Instagram or TikTok. Yes. So I think that what I would do in a school is, is absolutely have educational classes. So like tech is not going anywhere. Social media is not going anywhere. So we better get good at using it. You know, guns aren't going anywhere. So let's get educated on them. You know, so that's kind of the way that I think I would frame it. That's what I'm trying to do with with like the stuff I'm doing now with homeschool curriculum and stuff. I just, I did one on, on this topic of social media. It's like how to use it. So you get smarter, not dumber, mm-hmm. you know, stronger, better, healthier, mm-hmm. not less. Because if you want to just listen to Andrew Huberman and, right. and Ben Greenfield and Rhonda Patrick and stuff, you're going to get, and you listen to what they say, then you'll get healthier. But if you just listen to nonsense and like the, you know, body acceptance people or whatever yeah. it is, then you're going to get worse. So it's how it gets used. And that's what I would promote in schools is let's guide young people into how to use it, how to use tech, not just use it or don't, but here's how you use it. And they need specific directions on, on what it does and then how to do it. I think that's why kids stop smoking cigarettes is they got education on it for the most part. I think that's a big part of it anyway. So that's kind of what, the way I think I would I would try and do it in school is make like an actual class on it. So do you think in terms of how to use it, do you recommend like hard time limits? Like, okay, mm-hmm. you can do this for 20 minutes. Yep. Yep. Anything beyond that, you're going to go down a rabbit hole. What, yeah. what do you recommend? So one of the things that I me- I mentioned is uh is it it can build like willpower and discipline. So like discipline, I love Jocko Willing and stuff. You know yeah, the yeah. whole discipline stuff. But he uh, you know, it's just this idea of discipline equals freedom. So yeah, so it's like I'm gonna go on social media from this hour to this hour, this time to this time, this th- half hour, and I'm gonna do my scroll and everything. But when that alarm goes off, 
it's off and you can actually set it. There are, there are ways you can set it. You can get apps and stuff like that, right. that you get access for this amount of time and then it cuts off. You kid don't get access to it. Yeah. You have to be willing to do that. But you, if you don't set boundaries on gambling or drug use or whatever it is, things that are inherently addictive, yeah. made to be addictive, then you will spiral off. So you have to build that discipline in yourself. So I think teaching them really coherent, specific ways to do it you, you sit with your kid, you download these apps, you set it up for them, whatever it is. And then you, you teach them, you know, how to be responsible. It's what the way we should do with like drinking and driving and all that, not together, all these kinds of things <laughs> would be to, to learn how to use it properly. So, yeah. So I think that, that like exactly like you're saying, like you go on it from this time to this time, and then you're off of it. You know, there's certain times where it's just like, you're, you're off your phone, but if you just kind of integrate into your life, like ah, I have 10 minutes at the, at the, at the post office, and I'm waiting in line. I'll just go on it. At what point does that does that bleed in? So I think it's hard discipline. You can learn that. Yeah. You can learn that using the technology. Yeah, that's one of the things that Cal Newport was saying in Deep Work when he was talking about distractions. And he's like, one of the things that you should get comfortable with is boredom. Because so good. It, it, you, so good. Your, your brain starts to wander off and then new ideas start to bubbling up. But yeah. if you're constantly distracting yourself. So he's like, try this thing. Go to the bank or the post office. Stand in line yeah. and just stand in line. <laughs> Don't yeah. pull out your phone. That's so good. And you're going to feel uncomfortable, but your brain will kind of get out of this content consuming thing and it'll start to kick back in. And the other thing he says is, again, goes back to the, the hard limits. He's like, the way to be productive to reduce your reliance on this is like, introduce as much friction as you can. The way he does it is like for emails is people have come to understand He's not going to respond to a lot of emails. And when he does, he's going to respond to them a week from now. So I was like, you know, a lot of people can't get away with this, but you need to structure your life if you can in a way that they understand. It's like, if you send me a bunch of boring administration stuff, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It's, not, it's just not, yeah. you're wasting my time. You're getting in the way of my productivity. But the more friction you can introduce so that when people are trying to get a hold of you, it's only for the truly important things. Yeah the better off you're going to be as a student, the better off you're going to be as an adult. And I, I think back to when I was with the CIA and my boss kept on pushing on me to get on instant messenger. I was like, sure, boss, I'll do it. And then I would passively aggressively not do it. But the reason I was passively aggressively not doing it is because I saw my colleagues and they were constantly being interrupted in the middle of trying to write reports. And in my case, a lot of information was flowing through me. I had to approve it before it was being sent out. Mm. And so people would ask me questions about how to format reports they already knew the answer to. But in a lot of cases, it's easier just to ask someone than to think for five seconds and do it. Yeah. So that's why I put that friction in there, because it's like the answer is look at your last report, format it oh. that way, send it to me. Yeah, I mean, that's my life as a high school. Teacher. I mean, read directions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, the whole time I managed to get away with not getting on instant messenger. And then 10 years later, the research came along to prove me like my instinct was right. Yeah. Do not weigh yourself down with something that's going to be constantly distracting you because you're just shooting your own productivity and your mental acuity. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. I see it firsthand. I think this was an interesting and productive conversation. Tell us a little bit more about Cylinder Radio. Yeah, so that's my podcast. Um, started in like early 2000, I think January 2019. Just trying to bring viewpoint diversity. I love talking about controversial topics and I don't like echo chambers. I think that we're just, we need to... 
really understand why people would think differently than us. So I love having people on just from different walks of life and perspectives and things like that, just to try and flush out and find out the nuance and kind of humble us a little bit, like intellectual humility, humble us a little bit and just tap into curiosity. So Cylinder Radio is my podcast. It's available everywhere on YouTube and everywhere podcasts are streamed. I use Instagram, which is one of the worst, Yes, <laughs> but uh, it really is. And I talked to John Hikes. I worked with him a little bit at, <laughs> at a heterodox Academy, but I showed him some of the ways that I use it to make connections with people. Uh-huh. And he was actually to, to make this social solution um, guide that I'm, that I'm offering now. He was actually really surprised. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is amazing. Cause I had someone who was like a, like a transgender activist who was upset with something that I posted and I sent them a video on the DMs and was just like, Hey, here, there's my name, blah, blah, blah. And then they responded back. And then we did an Instagram live. And we found a lot of common ground. And now this person like, you know, messaged me and we're, we're very friendly. And I was able to do that through these social media channels. So it can be used properly. I really believe that you just have to be very intentional. Yeah. Very intentional about it. If, you, if you're not very intentional, you will spiral off and use it in bad ways. But if you're very intentional, you can use it to benefit you. And I found um, uh, a lot of ways to do that. So my website's williamroosh.com and my cylinder radio. And then uh, my, my name, Will Roosh on uh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I've been a longtime listener. And I can, I can attest that we'll, we'll engage with you. If a listener has something interesting to say or questions to ask, then... He will engage, and if come up with a good question, he may have on a guest that you recommend. I yeah, know, probably. That's how you got Captain Durbal Singh on there. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that was great talking to you. Well, yeah, we you love too. The Cylinder Radio. Cool. I think you're doing God's work, sir. Uh, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. One last thing before we go, I'd like to ask listeners to please go to whatever podcast app you use and put a review there for the Techno Skeptic Magazine podcast. When the Technoskeptic switched from WordPress to Substack, our podcast feed also changed, so all our previous reviews went away. We'd really appreciate it if you help us catch back up to where we were and leave us a nice review. Thanks.